Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com. And today I actually want to do a teaching called Stamp Eternity on My Eyeballs. Stamp Eternity on my eyeballs. Now, why I went here tonight and what I want to talk about concerning this is because of one, um, there was a great prophet, Leonard Ravenhill, that actually uh, spoke about a quote that another good man of God said, Jonathan Edwards. So I'll actually share that quote with you that he actually said. But I tell you, uh, when I first heard it, it was really um, strengthening. It was really uplifting. It was really something to think about concerning what God wants, what the true gospel is about, what Jesus Christ is about, and what clear messages did Jesus ever leave you and I, and how many of us follow them today? How many of us even believe the gospel? How many people believe that Jesus is one that says what he means and means what he says? And how many people have compromised the gospel to do what they want? And because of that, when we don't listen to our creator, when we won't listen to our Lord and Savior, it leaves you and I in places where we can find ourselves struggling with things, battling things, tying weights to us that have nothing to do with God. And then we blame God for our walk being so hard and so difficult and why so many things may happen to us. Well, we first have to understand that God is a father. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a commander. He doesn't make requests, he gives commandments. So when he tells you and I to do a thing, his purpose is that we will do it. You know, let wisdom be justified of her children. How will we know if God is true? How will we know if God's words are real? How will we know that if we don't do them, that these things will come to pass? You see, in order to get the fruit out of what Jesus Christ wants and what the gospel wants, we have to live sober lives. We have to live clean lives. We have to live lives that are conducive to the gospel, that it may bear fruit in our lives. And then we will see the blessings according to the things that God wants. But tonight, you know, this message is going to be hardly any different than any other, because what I'm understanding is, is that unless we stamp eternity on our eyeballs or we ask God to do it, then as human beings in our fallen nature, we become complacent. That's why the Lord tells us to guard the ears, guard the mind, guard the heart, guard the eyes, because you can't just allow yourself to live reckless and do things that you want to do and expect nothing to come from it. The very first example of this was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, their eyes were stamped on what God said, but there was a seducer, the devil, a serpent that came to them very cunning and crafty and turned their eyes away from what God told them because he enticed them to be great themselves aside from God. 
and through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, he was able to turn them around. And this is why the Lord tells you and I that we need to follow what God wants, get into what he wants so that we won't fall, so that we won't allow sin and weights to come into our lives. We'll do the things that God wants that is pleasing to God, okay? So that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. Stamp eternity to our eyeballs. Look at what this uh, guy, Jonathan Edwards said. Here's the quote. It's very short, but it's very powerful. And it's something that um, we're gonna be talking about in relation to Jesus. But he says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Where will all of our worldly enjoyments be when we are laid in a silent grave? Resolve to live as I shall as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Resolve to live as I shall wish I had done 10,000 ages hence. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. So we, you know, and that's just something really powerful for us to think about because this man is not one that wanted to fail God. This sounds like a man that was thirsty and hungry for after God wanted and he wanted to please God, which is something that every great man of God has done. And because of, I mean, you know, the men of God, you've got to want to please God. When you don't wanna fail him, when you don't wanna hurt him, you draw closer to him and you pray that he takes you away from the evil one, that he, you can overcome temptation, that you can handle persecution, that you won't deny him before men because he will deny you before his father, which is in heaven. Only someone that takes Jesus Christ serious and takes the gospel serious is one that will do what God says and will take the words of God very, very, very seriously. Okay, so that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. Stamp eternity on our eyeballs. So let's go into prayer. We'll get right into this lesson. It should be a good one. You know, a lot of uh, scriptures we've gone over before, but we're going to carefully examine these to see if Jesus was serious, and more importantly, to see how serious we are about loving Christ and doing what he says. So let's pray real quick and we'll get right into the lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day, another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, to do all those things that you call us to. And I just pray, Lord, for greater strength from on high. I pray, Lord, that you clean out the inner man, that the outer man may do the things that God wants. And I pray, Lord, that you reach your people, Lord, and you touch the mind and the heart that they may understand that we're entering into a time that is not like any other time before, Lord. There's just so many agendas. There's so many things that are just situated to destroy the people of God, to come against the faith of the believers, Lord, that I just pray in Jesus' name that you wake your people up, that it is not about this life that we live, but the one to come. But in order for us to follow you, to take you seriously, Lord, we have to allow you to give us the mind of Christ. So I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that no man's heart be heard tonight, 
that no flesh be glorified, but only by your spirit, Lord, that these things will be accomplished. And I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name that you move those things from the midst of your people, Lord, that you will hold the enemy at bay so that people may hear, that distractions may cease, that your people will be fed spiritually or fed spiritually, that they may give, Lord, what they have learned and what they gather from you to others. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right into today's lesson. I wanna get started in 1 John chapter two. Let's begin at 1 John chapter two. But guys, this is so important that we get a grip on the things that are said in this word because one thing we know about God is he cannot lie. And another thing we know about him that the Bible says he is the Lord thy God and he changes not. Our God does not change. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The Bible is the only constant, okay, that endures through time. God is the only thing that you can go to that is consistent, the only one, and he will not change his views towards anything. He will stay like he is because he holds his word above his name. But what we're finding out too is that if you look at the laws, there are so many laws put in play today that would have never been allowed back then. You know, there would have been lots of things that are going on that would never have be, even been considered 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So you know that we live in a world of constant change. You know, some changes for the better, but mostly for the worst. The only one that you can ever go back to and say, is this true, is God. Because if you go to his word, there it'll be right there as it was 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago. And it will have the same message because God's word is true. Okay, so let's go to 1 John 1. Let's begin at verse 1. We'll drink of water. So 1 John 1, look at verse 1. This is John the Apostle, which was the closest to Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands, had handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So what John is saying here, that they know that God's word is endless, God's word is timeless, God's word does not change. God's word 2000 years ago was manifested in the form of Jesus Christ, who had always existed, but he came in the flesh, he shewed them the ways of eternal life. And then he says, you know, because of that, because they were manifested unto them, that it bear witness to them that Christ is real, that eternal life is real that the ways that Jesus Christ had you know, commanded them to be 
They were. So what you can see here is these are firsthand witnesses that walked with Jesus that knew him. You know, it always boggled my mind that if the word of God said something, why do people fall victim to false prophets that will have them believe something different when these were men that walked with Jesus, that knew what he said, that heard the words come out of his mouth? We got to cling to the word of God and stop putting our trust in man. Look at verse three. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So John is making clear that their fellowship, who are the apostles, who are the Christians, the first Christians, they're making the point that they're telling us the things that they're telling us right now because they want you and I to be able to fellowship with God. Now, this is important because, you know, the Bible makes clear how can two walk together except they be agreed? So they're telling you here, hey, there may be some things that you need to know if you're going to fellowship and you're going to walk with Jesus. Look at verse four. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now that's important. Some people don't think much of joy. They think of good feelings. But what we ought to understand concerning the word joy is, you know, joy is the thing that is the strength of the Christian. When you joy in Jesus Christ, you desire to have him, you desire to be with him, you desire to please him, and you desire to be one with him and, and you know, uh, walk as he walked. So let's look up the word joy. This is G5479. That word means joy, gladness, the joy received from you, the cause or occasion of joy of persons who are one's joy. So you see, a lot of us claim we love Jesus, but how many of us adore him? How many of us delight in him? How many of us desire just to be with him and not ask him for anything? You see, this is the relationship that God wants our hearts to be in, that we may follow Christ. Because I love what Leonard Ravenhill said concerning joy. He says that people backslide and people seek after things to make them happy and other entertainment when, you know, entertainment is Satan's substitute for joy. Our joy should be in Christ, you see, but when we're not one with him, we will seek things from the outside to comfort us. And when you do that, our hearts attach to those things, and then we're off sight from the things that God tells you and I to do. And then he says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's amazing today how a lot of Christians make excuses for their dark ways, for their evilness and the things that they do. When the Bible makes clear here that in God is no darkness at all. There's no deceit, there's no craftiness, there's no evil, there's no lies, there's no fantasy. God tells you exactly what you can expect so that you can be in line with him. And then he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now that's scary because how many people claim to be a Christian, but they've got secret lives, that they've got dark things going on in their lives. There are things that are happening with them that they don't want anybody to know. 
So John is asking the question that if we say that we fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Look at verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship of one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, um, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So if we walk in the light as an open book before God, honest about our situations, not trying to hide anything, then God uh, will, you know, Jesus Christ through his shed blood will wash us clean from all sin. But we first have got to admit what we are. What keeps people not admitting what they truly are? And you know what most of that is, is the pride of life, which we're gonna talk about in a minute. It keeps people from being honest in their worldly circumstances so that they may seek eternal life. So you see, when we talk about stamp eternity on my eyeballs, it has to do with us paying attention to what's in the future, paying attention to what's going on in eternity. Is God pleased with my life? Does God want me to serve? I mean, am I serving God with the life that he's giving me? Am I glorifying God with my mouth, with my eyes, with my ears, with my actions? You see, these are things that we need to ask and pay attention to. When a person's mind is fixed on eternity, that person is gonna be thinking about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God in eternity. So he says, uh, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with another, I mean, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I just um, paid attention, I'm reading John one, but this is important, so I'm glad that I'm going here, but we can't deceive ourselves into believing that we're something that we're not, okay? So then he says, um, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So notice that Jesus Christ himself is what cleanses us from sin, not laws, not all the other stuff. It is building a relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing Jesus Christ to cleanse you from the unrighteousness. The Holy Ghost shows you what your sins are, what your flaws are, what the things are that hold you back, the things that offend God. And you know, when he makes it aware to us, we need to repent and we need to change and turn away from it so that the blood of Jesus can wash you and I from all unrighteousness. So, so now we're gonna go to 1 John chapter two, which is right next door. And we're gonna begin at verse one. I think the Holy Ghost led me there when I was thinking about going to 1 John two. Hey, the Lord is the, bo the boss, whatever he wants to talk about, that's what we'll talk about. 1 John 2, look at verse 1. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you look up the word advocate, that's G3875. And that word means it's parakletos. It's the same word we get for comforter. It says summon, called to one side, 
uh, especially called to one's aid. One who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, and advocate. So what is Jesus Christ? He's our lawyer. So, you know, if you and I were not lawless and not full of sin, we would need an advocate if we thought that we were righteous in God's eyes. But you see, there is nothing in this world that can make you and I righteous except that we know Jesus and we become like him. So Jesus is your defense attorney. He is your, uh, you know, what do you want to call? He's your... Uh, He's your defense, okay? And, and he pleads before the Father every day, day and night, you know, about our sins because he wants to keep us strong in God's grace that we can be like him. Thank God for Jesus. Look at verse two. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And whereby do, uh, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So how many people claim that they know Jesus Christ and they don't keep the commandments of Jesus Christ? Some people will say, does that mean the old Mosaic law, we keep the commandments of Jesus? Absolutely not. If you go to Matthew 22 and 35, there was a lawyer tempting Jesus and asking him, master, which is the first and great commandment of the law? And Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength. And he said, the second commandment is like unto the first, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says on those two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. The first five of the Ten Commandments was about loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The last five of the Ten Commandments was about loving your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on those two laws, hang, I mean, on those two commandments, hang all of the law, not part of it, not some of it, all the law and the prophets. Look at verse four. So, you know, a lot of us claim that we know the Lord, but how many of us keep his commandments? You see, we got a lot of liars out there. We got a lot of people that do not know Jesus and believe that they do because they go to church. But you see, a doer or uh, um, someone who knows you is someone that's intimate with you, okay? Someone that knows you is someone that is one with you. So when someone knows you, then they're going to obey Jesus Christ. When you know Jesus, you will obey him. If you don't obey Jesus, you don't know him. And the Bible makes that clear. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So the love of God is perfected. If you go later to, First John chapter four, it says that there is no fear in love, but for perfect love casteth out fear. A lot of people claim that they love their neighbor, but let's be real about one thing. They will not preach the gospel to them because of fear of, you know, being condemned, fear of mockery, fear of character assassination in the world, you know, fear of losing their jobs. So if we say that we love him and we know him, then we're lying because you see perfect love casteth out fear. 
you should be thinking more about that person's salvation and where they're going to spend eternity and pleasing your Lord, then you should care about how you're going to be seen in the world. This is very revealing. This is very telling of whether or not we know Jesus. A lot of us claim they love the Lord thy God with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But how many things do we put before the living God? These are all things that we need to pay attention to and have an understanding of, you know? So anyway, verse six says, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. I'll read that again. He that saith he abideth in him. That means you wanna tell people that Jesus Christ is in you. Jesus is one with you. He says that him, that individual that claims that, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. We're gonna talk about how Jesus walked this earth and we're gonna compare his life to ours. And we're gonna see if we're really walking like Christ or do we need to call out to the Lord and ask him that we may have the strength to walk as he did. But anyway, verse seven says, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So John is speaking of being born again. John is speaking of living a new life and not the old life. If we claim to be born again and we claim to be brand new, then what we ought to do is walk in light, let the light of God shine and not walk in darkness. Why are people ashamed of Jesus Christ? Because they're walking in darkness because they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, because if they believed it, they would proclaim it. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're speaking about sports, if you're speaking about worldly things, if you're speaking about sin or television or all these things more than you speak about God, then that's what's really in your heart. And don't try and fake it, because here's the closest one to God that's telling us, where the darkness is and the darkness should be behind us. Look at verse nine. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So if you truly love your brother, the surest way to know this is to preach the gospel. What's more important than eternal life? What's more important than how we live this life and we do the things that we do. And then let's just say I become a billionaire and you know I'm on Wall Street making tons of money, living my life, having lots of friends, having a lot of power in the world, cars and everything lined up in my life. And when I'm done, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is I go to hell. What am I gonna do then? How important was 80 years compared to eternity? I want people to think about that because you see eternity is forever and ever. There is no time. It just becomes a state of existence and it will remain that way forever when God throws everything away. You gotta ask yourself, if you really love your neighbor, you want that person saved. That's the greatest sign of love is to introduce someone to Jesus Christ that when they die, they may live forever with Christ. Because you know, what's worse than death itself is the second death. 
That's a life in the lake of fire. That is a life in eternity burning forever and ever. And I don't care if a thousand, a million years have passed by, that is where you will be. Not because God wanted to put you there, but that's what you chose. You chose darkness and you chose death. You chose that which is temporal and not that which is eternal. This is why we need to have eternity stamped on our eyeballs. That's important because the only way that we're going to see like Jesus saw, the only way we're going to do as Jesus did, the only way that we're gonna walk as Jesus walked is if we've got eternity stamped to our eyeballs. So anyway, he says in verse 11, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now I wanna make a, a point here. You see how the Bible says that we're talking about eternity stamped on eyeballs. And he said for someone that hates his brother that this person's mind has been blinded by darkness. We can be blinded by the darkness of this world. I'm not talking about a cloak over your face. What I'm speaking of is the way that we live, the things that we call light and they're really dark. The things we're concerned about instead of souls or the things that Jesus is concerned about is darkness. So he says, if we're paying attention to that, we're not paying attention to God. So he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven or forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, children, because ye have known the father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. So Paul talked to every group of people in society, writing to them, warning them and admonishing them and letting them know that we can't say that we know God because we go to church, because we know the Bible. If we know the Lord, we will walk as the Lord tells us to. Anything outside of that is a rebel. Anything outside of that is not someone that walks like God, is not someone that knows God, does not have God abiding in him, and they do not love their brother, okay? Look at verse 15. Here's the issue. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, some people will say, I don't love the world. I just live in this world. I love Jesus. But we must understand that which we love, we will defend. Why do you spend more time doing worldly things? Why do you spend more time defending the world? Why do messages like this make you angry? Because you see, you do love the world. If you didn't love the world, you wouldn't care what anyone said about it. You wouldn't care what someone said of your career. You wouldn't care if they pointed out wickedness all day long that's here exposing the darkness, but you defend the world because you do love it. That's your real God. That's what you're really paying attention to. That's what really matters to you. Because you see, there are people that blaspheme Jesus all day, but how many people would speak up for Christ? How many people get angry and decide to defend the Lord in a workplace or on the street or wherever? Your real God is that which you defend. 
that which you stand up for, that which you desire, okay? So the way that we live tells who we really are. So he says to love not the world. Look at the word world, that's G2889. That word means, that's the cosmos. It means an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, or government. Ornament, decoration, adornment, uh, the arrangement of the stars, heavenly hosts, blah, blah, blah. The world, the universe, the circle of the earth, you know, the inhabitants of the earth, men, the human family, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. World affairs, uh, the aggregate of things earthly, the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce from God and our, uh, and our obstacles to the cause of Christ. Any aggregate or general collection of particulars of any sort. So you guys get the picture. He wasn't just talking about the style of the world. He was talking about the world government. He was talking about the people of the world that are against God. He was talking about the desires of the wicked. He says, though some things are hollow, frail, and fleeting, they still stir desire. Let me let me make that make sense to people. Okay, now we know that no matter how long or how many things we obtain, we can't take those things beyond the grave. They become vanity, like King Solomon said. Solomon says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What is vanity? It's kind of like on a cold day when you're outside and you breathe out and you get that breath, that, that vapor or that breath that comes out and then it just disappears. Well, that's vanity. That's, that's, it's pretty much a waste of your time. It's nothingness. You put a lot of majors and minors, you know, you, you uh, struggle to gain things that cannot be obtained. Now, some people may say, I own my house. Yeah, you may own your house, but when you die, who will it belong to next? You see what I'm saying? And even when you buy your house, it's still not yours because you've got to pay taxes here. So in many ways, this is an unsustainable life. You can't take anything beyond the grave. You are going to get old and you are going to die. And you see, Jonathan Edwards understood this. That's why he says, God, stamp eternity to my eyeballs. Let me pay attention to the things that matter. Let me pay attention to the things that will endure beyond time, beyond the grave, beyond this physical worldly life, because those are the only things that matter. Look at verse uh, 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, I mean, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If anyone wants more understanding, of what those three are, go to Sound the Trumpet Ministries, look up uh, three teachings I did. We did a series on the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes are the things that the eyes find pleasing. The lust of the flesh are the things that the flesh enjoys, whether it's food or sex or whatever we think that we can get in this life, okay? And then there is um, the pride of life, which I think is the biggest issue because a lot of sincere Christians will ask themselves, Lord, if I serve you, what will I become? What will I be? You know, will I 
have a life? Will, will people mock me? Will they laugh at me? Will I lose my marriage, my family, or my friends? Will I lose my job? Will I lose my status in this world? You see, we've got to learn to get beyond that because if Jesus Christ is everything and we love him and we walk with him, we got to walk as he walked. You know, you proclaim him on the job. If you lose your job, then so what? God will give you something else. If your God is that powerful, he will take care of your needs. But one thing you must know, if you're a Christian, that your main goal and the main thing that we're supposed to be doing is pleasing God, supporting him, being his mouthpiece. If we claim that he is light and this world is shrouded in darkness, then we need to be those lights that Christ wants us to be. Like in Matthew 5, when he talks about you can't hide a candle under a bushel, you are the light of the world. He says that we are the light and salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, he says, then it is no good. It's just meant to be trodden under the foot of men. And it's unfortunate that God's church is going through this because people don't want to obey God. So he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. What did Satan do to try and take down Adam and Eve? He gave them the lust of the eyes when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and uh, you know the lust of the flesh and that it was pleasing to the eyes. Well, you, you guys get it. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, there was the pride of life. So this is what the devil has done back then. This is what he's trying to do to us today to keep eternity from being stamped on our eyeballs. So look at verse, uh, but you know, we gotta understand too, it says that it's not of the Father, it's not of God to love the world. Some people may say, well then how do I live in this world then? I can't just have nothing. You can have things in life, but you can't love them. These things can't come before God. These things can't have preeminence over your relationship with Christ. Then he says, and the world passeth away. You see, this is why he's telling us this. Why put your stock in something that is gonna pass away? And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the person that is focused on the will of God is him that will abide forever. But he says the world is gonna pass away and all of those lusts, so why put your stock in uncertain riches? Why put your stock in something that can't even be obtained? Money has wings. You know, the only thing that we truly have is Jesus Christ. Everything that we buy, no matter what we consider our prized possession, we always got to go out and get more because of the fact that these things get old and they corrupt and they go. You know, you buy a thing, you throw a thing out. So that ought to tell you that it's not sustainable. But look at what we treasure in instead of the sure thing, which is what God tells us in eternal life. Look at verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So let's define the word Antichrist. Anti means against or in place of, and Christ means Christo or anointed one or Messiah, okay? So anything that is put in place of Christ, 
Anything that is against Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. Everybody's looking for that man to show up and to do evil and, you know, he's going to be powerful, the devil's son. But we don't have to look any further than the person in the mirror brushing his teeth in the morning. If we have not given things over to Christ, if we put things in place of Christ, if we don't walk with Christ and defend Jesus Christ, then the only other thing that we can be is Antichrist. So anyway, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So you see, when people depart from it, what the Bible is saying is you were never really in it. Because if you were in it, then you're in it to win it. Then you've got eternity stamped on your eyeballs. It doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter how many people leave you in this thing. It doesn't matter what you might have to lose in this life. If you're really in it for Christ, then what you're going to do is live for Christ. Look at verse 20 but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is in the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same have not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son have the Father also. So it's amazing how so many people want to talk about God the Father, how much they love him and desire him when God the Father don't deal with men. You've got to know the person of Jesus Christ. And if and if Jesus Christ gives the Father a nod that, Dad, he's with me, then you know Jesus Christ. But outside of that, people put too much emphasis on the Father and not enough on Jesus Christ. Jehovah Witnesses are an example of this. They talk about Jehovah God all day long, but they don't even know the Son in Jesus Christ. How do I know this? Because if they knew Jesus Christ, they wouldn't be calling him Michael the Archangel. The Catholics don't know Jesus Christ, and they don't know God the Father. If they knew God the Father in Jesus Christ, they would not be promoting Mary above him. They would not allow anywhere, anytime, in any place, a man to wear the, a mitre on his head of Dagon and tell the people that he is the vicar of Christ. That is the spirit of Antichrist. There is no Pope, okay? So anyway, look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. So God promises if you be into him, you get into Christ, God the Father will get into you. You will become one with him. John 14 says that, but then he did promise also eternal life. Now, John, why are you writing this to the church? Look at verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So there are a lot of seducers out there that will tell you, I'm a religious extremist because I want to direct people to Jesus Christ. So we're going to see if this is true. We're going to see 
am I telling the truth or am I just someone that just hates life and I just see the downside of things and I just want to be mean and nasty to people so that they won't have anything? Let's compare the words of John. Let's compare the words that I have spoken to you through inspiration of the spirit. And let's see if these things add up to Jesus Christ. So let's go to uh, Matthew six and let's begin at verse 19. Matthew chapter six and 19. You know how they say, we'll see who's lying. Wait till we get into this. Am I doing this to try and discourage people? No, I want people to really know what Jesus Christ said and what he's about. How could we ever focus on the things that are of God if we've got the wrong doctrine, if we've got the wrong understanding of God's word? So let's look at uh, Matthew 6, look at verse 19. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So you understand that Jesus is telling them here, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, okay? And, and it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to have anything. He understands that fallen man has a problem with idolatry. Fallen man can't pick up a thing and put it back down. Fallen man has attachment issues because fallen man has a fragmented soul that needs Christ and needs to walk with him and understand him, okay? But look at the reason why he's saying, don't lay up treasures here, lay up treasures in heaven. What is a treasure? Something that you can't live without, something that you will fight to defend, something that is very precious unto you. Don't lay up treasures here for that. I mean, we use what we need to do here, but look at the warning in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if the first and great commandment of the law is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself, then if we don't, I mean, then if we have treasures here on earth, things that we hold above anything, things that are so precious to us. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So how could you serve God? How could you obey God? How could you even know him when you're clutching something else and calling it precious outside of God? So you see, Jesus tells us these things, why we shouldn't love the world is because if we love the world, then we hate God. James four and four says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He's calling them cheating on the Lord. He says, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? You know, so we must understand if you're a friend of the world, if you're a friend of the government, if you're a friend of the worldly ways and lifestyles and belief systems, then you are the enemy of God. There is no in between here, but this is what the people of God have said. You know, this is not my opinion. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So if your eye is focused on Jesus Christ, if your eye is righteous, if your eye refuses to put wicked things among them, then we understand that if that our eyes will stay full of light. He says the light of the body is the eye. 
Some people have said it this way, the eyes are the windows to the soul. So you and I tend to record things. We tend to get into things that, you know, if we see a thing, we can't just blink it from our memory. If we're watching it, then you can have the enemy and his devices and his temptations pass through the eyes. And where will they go? Right into your soul. What is the soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, so if your mind, will, and your emotions are caught up in the world or in the treasures of this life, then that's what your will will be leaning to. That's what your mind will focus on. That's what your emotions will get happy and crave. So Jesus says, you know, that look at verse 22, I mean, 23. But if thine eye, if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? So you see, darkness moves from the eyes and consumes the whole body. It gives you inordinate affections, things that God never called you and I to have. But if we go according to that, then we are going to be darkness. So we've got to guard the eyes to make sure that we're focused on the Lord. That's why, you know, Jonathan Edwards, this point's gonna get brought up many times. He says, stamp eternity on your eyeballs. You guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. David says, I will put no wicked thing before my eyes. So, you know, many of us are sitting there watching TV and doing things, and we know there's some things we shouldn't be watching. You can hear the spirit of God tell you if you're a Christian, you need to turn that off, that's filthy. Oh, I know I hear cursing, do you? But you see, if you override that and you just move on and you continue with your enjoyment, then what will begin to happen is this, you will become callous and you'll let darkness in, which will separate you from the life of God. Okay, so look at verse 24, he tells you here, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So you can't serve God and mammon. Let's look up the word mammon. This is G3126. That word means mammon, treasure, riches, where it is personified and opposed to God. Okay, so we understand that mammon just isn't money, it's riches, it's treasures, it's things that, you know, that are against God in this life that we enjoy. And when you have that, you're not gonna be able to serve two masters. You're gonna hold to the one and you're going to despise the other. Now you know why there are so many people that cannot serve God, that are ashamed of God and don't want God living in them. They don't want Christ in them because if they do, they know they're gonna have to part with a lot of stuff. And some people are not willing to do that. So what do they do? They keep God at a distance. And at best, you become a lukewarm Christian. You become only a church person, but you're afraid to tell people about Jesus. That's not what God is all about. Look at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body uh, than raiment? He says, behold, the fowls of the air, that they sow not, neither do they reap, 
nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than that? So God is telling his people, don't worry about what you have to forsake. Worry about what you're gonna gain. God is gonna take care of every single need. You don't need to try and go out and make a life for yourself. As Christians, we know when we tried that, look at how much of a mess our lives became. Look at all the worldly planning, what we decided to do for families, who we thought we were gonna marry, what jobs we thought we were gonna work, how far we thought our degree was going to take us. Look at where we were. And, and, and you still can't avoid disappointment. You still can't avoid hurt. Your plan still fell apart. You know why? Because your plan is not in eternity, nor is it headed towards it. God's plan is focused on the eternal. If we get in line with God, God will meet every need. And I'm going to prove it. Look at this. It says God feeds the birds. He'll feed you too, but you've got to put your trust in him. He says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So when we build a plan outside of God's plan, he's calling them they of little faith. What do they lack faith in? Faith in God faith in eternity, faith in God's plan, faith in God's sovereignty, faith in God's power. You know, you, you don't have faith in these things. So he's trying to get you to have faith by putting your trust in him. And I'm learning, the more I give to him, the more he takes care of. The more I get about his business, he gets about mine. You know why? Because he's stamping eternity on my eyes. And I prefer it that way. It keeps me in the one-track mind of knowing that God is right and I have no righteousness in me. God is wise, he's powerful, he's all-knowing, and I, and I know absolutely nothing, and I can do absolutely nothing aside from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal shall ye be clothed. But after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So interesting point here is he said the Gentiles seek after these things. They worry about what they're gonna wear. They worry about how they're, um, you know, what they're going to eat. They worry about their worldly future. So Gentiles would be considered kind of like worldly people. Hey, brother Jake. Gentiles are considered like worldly people. Worldly people think in a worldly way. They don't even incorporate God in their plans. So he says, look at what he desires for the Christian to do. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So if you put God first, you get about God's business, he'll get about yours. If you pay attention to God's eternal plan, God will make your temporal plan, you know, according to his will. Okay, look at verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. 
sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So that's the Lord making it clear here that we have to have minds focused on eternity. That's the only way you and I could do this. If we're stuck in the world, in the things of the world, then what will happen is that's where our hearts will end up, which will not stamp eternity to our eyeballs. We'll have the temporal world, you know, towards our eyeballs. So let's look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. And like I encourage listeners, have your Bibles out in front. Why? Because this is all about learning. This is all about edification. This is all about understanding. Why did he command us to learn the word of God so that we may teach others the truth? That's what's important. And we're gonna begin at verse three. We're gonna begin at verse three. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God, that's a lowercase g, that's the devil of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So a lot of people are given over to loving the world. You see now why God doesn't want you to love the world? Because the God of this world is not Jesus Christ. It is not God the Father. It is the devil. When, when the devil enticed Adam and Eve through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the devil became Adam's God. The devil took over the dominion of the world that Adam was supposed to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue. So Adam gave his God-given dominion over to the devil when he obeyed him. And this is why we have to follow Jesus Christ so that we won't allow the devil to have dominion over us and you know get us to go according to his commands. So he says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, uh, your servants, for Jesus' sake. But God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined unto our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So notice that light has to shine from our hearts. How do you know where your heart is? It's what your heart focuses on. Jesus says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we must understand that what tells us where our heart is, is the things that we search after and we go after. What you have an appetite for, that's where your heart is, okay? But look at verse seven, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So you see, when we forsake the world, when we live lives that are in accordance with God's will, God leads us to the cross. He lives us, he gives us a life of self-denial. When we live a life of self-denial, that actually gets rid of the old man or the old fleshly life what we inherited from Adam, and we begin to have a new and living way, according to the new man, according to those who are born again, that your fleshly man will become weaker and your spiritual man, which is buried deep, becomes stronger. Now, you know, the Bible says in John 4 and 24, that God is a spirit and them that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
deep calleth unto deep. We've got to be spiritually connected to the Lord, not our flesh, because God says that no man's flesh will be justified in the eyes of God. So we've got to become one with Jesus, having him live in us, that he, that treasure, which is Christ, can spring up in us and we can be focused on eternity. Why? Because we're not gonna have the appetite of man. We will have the appetite of the Lord. So let's skip down to verse 16. And he says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So when you deny the old man, when you move the old man out the way, when you allow God to live in you, work through you, and you go according to God's will, when your mouth, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your hands glorify God, he says that the outward man will die and the inward man will grow stronger and be renewed by Christ, you know, living in you every single day. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So what we have to suffer in this life, to the worldly person that thinks that I'm speaking depression, man, that sounds hard. I can't have any fun. I can't do the things that I want to do. He says, man, that's a light affliction. But what's greater is that far great weight of eternal glory. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Christians don't really have any business loving this life. We can enjoy the things that we can enjoy, our family, our friends, our wives, our children. You know, we can have good meals, you know, do, do different things like that. But everything, and I mean everything, should be Christ-centered. Because when man began to live and think that he could live a separate life from the Lord, that's when man was subject to death and fell into sin. And we've been fighting with that ever since, which is why Jesus tells you and I, we must be born again, okay? Look at verse 18. While we look at the things, uh, while we look at the things which are seen, but at the things, well, we look not, sorry, at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but the things that are seen are temporal, okay? So what you and I can look at, what I've got in this place, what you guys have in your place, what you're seeing before your eyes is temporal. Let's look up the word temporal. This is G4340. That word temporal means for a season, enduring only for a while, temporary. You see, so these things do not endure, um, you know, forever. They come and they go. So why do you put your stock here? Why do you put your treasures here? Why do you care about this when this can't sustain you? So he says the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And you know, that's heaven and that's hell. Hell is eternal. Heaven is eternal. You can't see them right now, but for those who didn't live for Christ, those who don't have eternity stamped on their eyeballs, they will see. They'll see one or the other. They'll see hell if they don't focus on God. So you see, we put too much into this life and we should be giving everything back to Jesus Christ, okay? Because he's the only one that deserves it. Let's look at Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, and let's look at verse 16. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Look at Matthew 19 and verse 16, eternal life. You know, a lot of people ask this question, but how many people are serious? How many people want to know what God says? How many people really do want eternal life? Or how many just want to be a church member or a follower or something or other? Look at verse 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, what life is he talking about? That word for life is G2222. Look at what it means. That's Zoe life. The state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate, every living soul. So what is he talking about? Eternal life. That's what Zoe life means. He says, if you will enter into Zoe life or eternal life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which? Now notice, if we go back to John chapter two, when it talks about if you love Jesus, to keep the commandments of Jesus. Well, Jesus is gonna tell you what commandments they are, and none of them were the old Mosaic law. But look at this. He says, he saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What was Jesus giving this man? The last five of the 10 commandments, all right? Because if you love your neighbor, you're not gonna commit adultery. You're not gonna murder him. You're not gonna steal from him and you're not gonna lie on him. And you will preach the gospel to him if you love your neighbor as yourself, claiming to be a Christian. Look at verse 20. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? So this man is feeling confident. Hey, I've done no one any wrong. What do I lack? Jesus said unto him, if thou will be perfect, if you wanna be perfect and righteous, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, but he had great possessions. So that young man claimed that he loved his neighbor, okay? Because he claimed he didn't do any of the above. But what was his problem? He couldn't uphold the first and great commandment of the law, which is to love your, God, your Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. So as you can see, he turned away. And I'll tell you something else. He didn't love his neighbor because if he loved his neighbor, he would have been following Christ and Christ would have led him to preach the gospel and to win souls. So this guy is someone you would call, he was fake, okay? Because he did not want to leave his treasure. His treasure was his great possessions. It wasn't God. So when he called Jesus good, Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Like you don't even know what good is. Because you see, good can't just be something that we know of. Good has to be lived. Good has to show forth in your conversation, in your lifestyle, in loving and desiring God. There is only one that's good, and that is God. Look at verse 22, of verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So you see, the more weight you got tied to you, the more your heart desires, the less likely you are to follow God. This is why Jesus says to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because man has a problem with heart attachments. He attaches himself to things that are not of God, and he puts a lot of stock in that. But you know, the question is, have you won any souls lately? Do you love Jesus? How often do you read your Bible? How do you desire to spend with him, you know, time with him? Does your heart ache for the Lord? You see, we need eternity stamped on our eyeballs. Look at verse 25. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So now we understand why Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory, because only Jesus can get this thing done. He says, with men, it's impossible. It's impossible to forsake the world. But with God, all things are possible. That's why we need to be born again so we can lose the desire for the world and do the things that the Lord wants. He says, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, oh, I've read that. Look at verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee what shall we have therefore? So Peter was bold enough to say this because Peter had forsaken all. Peter was married. Peter left his job with fishing. He went after what God wants and Jesus provided everything. So look at Peter's reward because he had forsaken all and walked with Christ. And Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man shall sit in, in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what did he guarantee them? A place in his kingdom, not as some paupers, but they would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They would be sitting at his throne like a faithful bride. Look up the word regeneration. This is G3824. And that means the new birth, reproduction, renewal, recreation, regeneration. Hence, uh, renovation, regeneration, the production of a new life consecrated to God, a radical change of mind for the better. The word often used to denote the restoration of a thing to its pristine state, its renovation as a renewal or restoration of life after death. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you go with him through the regeneration process, through the process of being born again, becoming a new fruitful creature that is mature, that bears fruit, that clings to Christ, that has made his abode in Christ and Christ in him, that's the only person that's going to make it into the kingdom of God. Verse 29 says, and everyone that have forsaken houses or brethren or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. So the question would be, how many want to go to heaven? How many want to be with Jesus? Have you counted the cost? 
Do you know what the price is? Christ has to be everything. And some people may think that God is hard, but wait a minute, you gotta understand something. Man is ignorant to the spiritual things. Only God knows what these things are. He knows the attacks of the devil. He knows that spirit is thicker than blood. He knows that the devil can get into your wife. He can get into your children. He can get into others and keep them from following you. I mean, from following God, as the Lord says. Jesus said in Matthew 10 that a man's foes will be they of his own household because Jesus is coming to bring the sword and he is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Hey, Sister Tara, look at verse 30. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So what is the Lord telling us with that? That we need to endure unto the end because those who endure unto the end will be saved. Who are the ones that can do this? Those who have eternity stamped on their eyeballs. Okay, so let's look at this. I wanna go to another spot real quick. Look at Matthew 16. Let's go back three uh, chapters, Matthew 16. Look at verse 24. Actually, let's begin at verse 21, because I just mentioned to everybody that the devil can use people closest to you to stop you from the purposes of the Lord. So it says in verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, Peter is one of those disciples that is close, very close to Jesus Christ. The, the three closest to Jesus were Peter, James, and John. John being closer than them all. But what we understand is, is that Jesus knew that his fate was to die for man so that you and I could be saved. He knew that that was the purpose of the Father. What did Jesus have on his eyes stamped? Eternity, okay? Because he was focused on the will of the Father. Then it says, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So the Lord knew that the devil was using Peter to try and keep the Lord from doing the will of the Father. What was Jesus most focused on? The will of the Father. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whatsoever will, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life uh, for my sake shall find it. So again, we're talking about a denied life following the Lord doing the things that the Lord says. He says, hey man, you know, you're an offense unto me. If you're gonna follow after Christ, you've got to live a life of self-denial, take up your cross and follow Christ. Why Jesus? Look at verse 26. But what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he shall he shall reward every man according to his works. You don't wanna miss out on this because at the coming of Jesus, 
We better make sure that we've made our calling and election sure. We better have worked out our own salvation with fear and trembling, because when the Lord comes back, he's going to judge this world and he's going to see those who were focused on eternity versus those who played around the whole time but were never really in it. This is what we better pay attention to. We better pray to the Lord to have eternity stamped on our eyeballs. Let's go to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to begin at verse 20. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Luke chapter 16, let's look at verse 20. And it says, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Actually, I wanna go back one. Let's go to verse 19. He says, there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So this was a rich man of the world, well taken care of, living a nice worldly life. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of swords and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his swords. So this man was in such a bad state, he had sores all over him and he hung out with the dogs. They were licking his sword body. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. So as you can see, death is the great equalizer. Whether you're healthy or sick, rich or poor, free or bond, okay, righteous or unrighteous, we are all going to go to the grave. You see, nothing gets beyond the grave. No matter how you live, you are going to hit the grave. But we must understand that if you live for Christ, then death has no sting over a Christian because those people's eyes are focused on eternity. They believe in eternal life and that has to be the focus. So they're both dead. And then it says in verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torment and see of Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So this man was looking up, he's in a place of hell. He's looking up at Abraham's bosom and seeing how, you know, uh, Lazarus is up there. Look at verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So we understand about this man. You see, all those riches, they mean a thing. He's burning up on fire and he's in such a state of torment. He's asking Lazarus to take his finger and just dip it in water. So wherever Lazarus is, he's got water all around him, probably laid out, stretched out in the grass, relaxing. But this man is in hell. Why is this man in hell? Because he could have made Lazarus's earthly life better. He could have showed love to Lazarus. He could have gotten Lazarus medical attention. He could have clothed Lazarus. He had enough to feed Lazarus every day. But what was he focused on? Himself, and in doing so, he didn't fulfill the second or the great commandments of the Lord. So anyway, he says, um, so he's tormented in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, 
Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. So you see, this is not a true story. This is a, um, a parable. But Jesus told this story because, you see, the man who suffers through life, the man who takes a beating, and I can't believe I didn't see this before. Thank you, Jesus. But the man who takes a beating in life, the man who lives a denied life for Christ, that's the individual that's going to make it. Okay, God's going to comfort that individual because he gave him his life to the Lord. But if you look at the man that's tormented, he lived a nice worldly life, not even knowing God and not showing any love to his neighbor. So because of that, he's in hell and Lazarus is comforted. Verse 26 says, and besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither pass, cannot neither can they pass. Uh, to us that would come from thence. So Abraham is saying, well, you know, I'd love to help you, but, you know, one, you were evil. So you get what you deserve holding back on everything you have while someone over here is starving. And more importantly, there's a great gulf between you and I. I can't, me or Lazarus, Lazarus and I, we can't cross over there and you can't come over here. So this is, we did a teaching on Santa Trumpet Ministries about six months ago called a great gulf fixed. And you know, whichever way the tree falls in the forest, that's where it's going to lay for eternity. So we better make sure that we're in the right place because each day, each day is not promised to us. Okay. So he says, Hey, I can't go over there to help you. Even if I wanted to verse 27, then he said, I pray thee therefore father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house but I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So this man is in such a state of torment, he knows that if God doesn't come and you know speak to his um, brethren and talk to them, that you know they're also going to hell. Let's look at uh, Abraham's response in verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So what is the Lord telling this man or telling the, you know, his disciples and all? He's making it clear to the people that God's word is as good as God being here himself. If people won't hear that, if they won't believe it, if they don't take God's word as true and walk in it, then, you know, they would go to hell and not believe anyway, even if Jesus was standing right here before them. So you see, God's word is valid. God's word is true. And if we don't focus on God's eternal word, okay, because he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So if we don't focus on the eternal word and live by it, we can't have eternal life. And it's just that serious. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. Thank you, Jesus. 
Luke 14, let's look at verse 16. All right, so Jesus is given a parable once again. You see, he talked about hell more than he ever talked about heaven, or he never talked about heaven without mentioning hell. Why? Because Jesus wanted us to understand eternity. If Jesus just wanted you to focus on the sweet nothing and the good things of this life, we wouldn't be prepared for eternity. So Jesus had eternity stamped on, he didn't need eternity stamped on his eyeballs. He was eternal and he tried to stamp eternity to their eyeballs and ears and anyone that would see. Look at verse 16. Then he, who is Jesus, um, then he said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them, that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. So Jesus, when we preach the gospel to people, we're inviting people into the kingdom of heaven. There's really no other reason than that. We're inviting people to know Jesus, that they may be raised on the last day with Jesus, that they may have a relationship with him and have eternal life. But these people began with all consent to make excuse. Like that old whining song, you know, tomorrow, I'll give my life tomorrow. You know, um, you know, it's so much easier to say, tomorrow I'll do it, maybe, maybe, maybe. But it's funny how when the world calls, we go and run to it. So they all began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground that I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. You see what these people are? They are storing their treasures on earth so they're not focused on the ones in eternity. But then he says in verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So one man loved his possession, his land. The other man loved his possession, his food, his oxen. And then this one is married a wife and he's expecting God to understand this. But as we read in Matthew 19, 16 through following that those who will make it into eternal life, you can't put any of those things before Jesus Christ, not even your wife or husband. Verse 21 says, so that servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the whole and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded and yet there is room. So he went after the halt, the maimed, the lame and the blind. This can be people that are also in this condition. This can also be the lost. The lost are maimed, the lost are blind, the lost are poor, and the lost are whole. Those who don't have Jesus, you're broken. Look at verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So those people that he invited and they put everything before the Lord, 
those people will not make it into eternal life. They will not be with Jesus in the marriage supper because they were focused on the things and the treasures and the cares of this life. And in doing so, they took their eyes off of eternity and focused them on the world, on the temporal. Look at verse 25, and there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So, you know, you guys are probably wondering, why is Jesus saying if you don't hate them? He's saying, and that word is uh, G3404, it means to be hated. If you can't take being hated by them, if you can't push them aside for the Lord and focus on what he wants first, you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's break this down. Why? Because your father may make commandments unto you that are contrary to God's will in your life. So will your mother. So can your wife. Your children can hinder you from going in line and doing what God wants for eternity. You know, that's why they can't rule over you. So can your brothers, so can your sisters, and so can your own life, which is why he says you need to hate them or put them in their proper place that you can serve the living God no matter what. Look at verse 27. And whomsoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You've got to have a denied life to walk with Jesus. If you're having your heaven on earth, there is no need for you to go to, to the real and true heaven because you caught, you know, it was such a heaven to you, you couldn't even focus on the things that God wants. Okay, you were having your fun. Look at verse 28. For which of you, because I know what I'm saying right now is hard. And I know that there's things that people don't understand and people are probably misjudging and looking at Jesus wrong, but you got to understand the price of eternal life. And then he says, look at the question in verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cause, whether ye have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. So you see, you've got to count the cause. You've got to ask yourself what's important because how can you call yourself a Christian start out as a Christian, and then go unchristian. Remember what John said, they were all not of us. They started with us and they left us. But the, the proof that they left us only shows that they were never with us from the beginning. They did not count the cost to see if they can follow Jesus. Jesus is making it clear to follow him and to have eternal life, it's costly. You're going to have to forsake a lot, anything, and I mean anything that is not going in the will of God is against God and it's got to go. You've got to choose where your treasure is and what you are willing to do. So he says in verse 30 saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king goeth to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth his embassage like his ambassador 
and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all, how much? All, okay, um, that, that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, salt is a preservative, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor, for, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that have ears to hear, let him hear. So if you're worthless in the kingdom of God, if you're not preserving God's kingdom, you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciple means those who live a disciplined life after one thing or another. Or are you living a disciplined life after Christ? And if not, the only reason for it is you have not given all to Christ and you have not eternity stamped on your eyeballs. Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, and let's look at verse one. Seems like everything being said is matching up with Jonathan Edwards, huh? Do we really want Jesus? I know I do. I'm in it to win it. Look at Matthew 25, look at verse one. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto 10 virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Uh, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. You don't think these wise virgins were focused on eternity? Of course they were. They got to the place, they kept themselves stored up, they stayed in prayer. They stayed in the word of God. They stayed being ready, a denied life, waiting for the bridegroom to come, okay? They took their walk, as the Bible says, very, very serious. But now you see the foolish virgins are asking for wine. You see, this is what happens in many cases when God tells us, you know, to study to show ourselves approved. He tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. He tells us that we're gonna be responsible for the deeds that are done in our mortal bodies. And he tells us to make our calling and our election sure. Now, those who listen to it will get on the task. So when questions come, when unsaved people come, we become instant because we have spent the time with prayer and fasting and before God to be able to deal with that situation. But you see, the foolish virgins will always be those that will say things like, you know, um, I don't know how to deal with this. Hey, can you come over and pray for this person? Can you come over and lay hands? Can you do this? You know, Paul said there was a time that you should have been a teacher, but you still have need that someone teaches you again, which are the first principles of the oracles of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our brethren. 
I'm not saying some are stronger with the Lord than others, but I've known people for 10 years that have claimed to be Christian and give their lives to Christ, still have no spiritual growth in the Lord. This is because they were the foolish virgins and not the wise. This is because they didn't spend the, the long nights burning that midnight oil, drawing closer to the Lord so that he could live in them, work through them, speak through them, and use them. Okay, so then, you know, the foolish virgins are now asking for help, and the wise virgins are like, man, the bridegroom is here. I don't have another moment to do anything spiritual for you. I'm taking the oil that God has given me, that the Spirit has given me to meet the bridegroom. So you see, you got to, man, work it out. It says, or going out. Uh, let's see. But the wise answered, saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them and sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. This goes right in line with John chapter one, for those who claim that they know the Lord, that they serve him, that they love their neighbor, that they're doing all these things for the Lord, as you can see, okay, God says, Jesus Christ says, I know you not. I don't know you. Because if I'd known you, you and I would be intimate. You'd spend time with me. You would speak of me. Because you have denied me before men, I deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. This is serious business, guys. Get to know the Lord while you have time. Okay, look at verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling in a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Now, you know, God gives us all talents. He gives us all gifts, okay? Because he's expecting return on his investment. God gave you the gift of charm or getting to know people, being a likable person because he means for you to preach the gospel to them. God gives you great oratory because he means for you to preach the gospel. God gives you a listening and understanding nature because he wants people to tell you their problems so that you can give them the gospel. God might have made some of us good athletes that we may reach people with our talents and give them the gospel. God's allowed some of us to sing and dance that people may be drawn in and we can sing and give them the gospel. God gives talents for no reason. He wants return on his investment. So he gave some three, you know, five, others two, and another one. And unto one he gave, well, I went there, look at verse 16. Then he that have received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. He gained two more. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. Verse 18 is so telling because we're talking about those who serve the Lord. 
And we're talking about those who would not serve the Lord. Notice that this guy took the, the talent that God gave him and he digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. He hid his talent in the earth. Now I understand what the Lord is saying here that he buried the talent or the money, but think about the talent that we bury in the world. Think about how many people, singers and performers were born in the church, raised in the church, learned to sing for the Lord Jesus Christ in the church. And then they went and gave that talent to the world for recording contracts and money. And then they become sinners, they lose their way, they lose their faith, and then you know it, they're out of it. Okay, so this is something that we've got to understand that this man took his money or took the talent and he digged in the earth and he hid it. Okay, look at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and uh, reckon with them. And so he have not, he, ha, he that have received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So this man gave, you know, he used what God gave him and he fulfilled his mission in the Lord. And guess what? The Lord called him good and faithful servant because he was faithful over a few things. God's gonna make him faithful over many. Come into my joy, come into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is done. So this man made clear in, in what he said in verse 23 or verse 24, he called the Lord hard man. He called him unfair. He thought I should have been able to live the life that I want and still be able to not have to use my talent and you should love me and desire me no matter what. The question of God's love is never in doubt. The question of how much you love him is always in doubt. That's why the Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments, okay? He doesn't tell you to feel anything about it. He tells you obey him if you love him. So this man hid his talent. He didn't use what God gave him. And then he wanted to give it back to the Lord. Well, you know what? I, I dug it, I put it in the earth, but since you're here, I'm undigging it and I'm giving it back to you. What is yours? Look at verse 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that uh, I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers 
And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. That word for usury means with interest. The Lord was gonna help him do this. This man, all he had to do was God, what God said, and God would have met him halfway and took care of it. He gave him the talent to begin with. God's not gonna give you and I anything that he doesn't intend for us to use. So this is where it comes to having faith in God. This man decided to be a friend of the world. He wanted to dig and put his money in the earth. And because of that, he's the enemy now of God. Look at verse 28. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which hath 10 talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that have not shall be taken away even that which he hath. So you guys ever heard the term, you don't use it, you, you lose it? Well, this is what happens when God gives us talents, he wants us to be able to use them. But if we don't use what God has given us, like let's just say you get the Holy Ghost, you get baptized in the spirit, God wants you to follow him and do spiritual things. If you don't do those things, you lose them. Why? Because you're not using them. That's why the Bible tells us, don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't grieve the spirit of God. Quench not the spirit of God, because the spirit of God is only going to lead you to do the spiritual things of God. You want to keep your anointing? You better walk in the ways of God. I know because I've had anointings and I've lost them, only to have them return if I get back in line with what the Lord wants. So he says that he ain't done yet. Not only did he take back the talent, verse 30 says, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the Lord is not kidding. If you don't meet the will of God, if you don't get to know Jesus, that he can live with you and guide you through this world and stamp eternity on your eyeballs, you will go to hell. It is better to suffer in this life, to serve Christ, get to know him and experience the reason why you and I were created, and that is to glorify the Lord thy God that his will can be done. Outside of that, we are enemies of the Lord. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter six. I'm almost done, guys. First Timothy six, let's begin at verse one. First Timothy six and one, let as many servants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So when we are in the world, when we're conducting ourselves in the world, if the Lord led you to a particular job, you call yourself a Christian, you need to live in a godly way that people will know it. People shouldn't have to guess and figure out what you are. Our very lifestyle and the way that we speak and what we do should determine whether or not we're truly Christians. Look at verse three, and if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, 
railings and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. Why are these men corrupted in mind and destitute of truth? Look at what he says their problem is. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. So these people believe that all that you can have in this life is godliness, but the Bible tells the Christian to withdraw yourself from that doctrine because you got people like T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, Joe Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, you know, Joseph Prince, you got all these guys, Leroy Thompson and all the rest of them, they're all preaching prosperity gospel. And why do people get hooked? Because their eyes are not fastened are not fastened on eternity. They're looking for what they can have in the here and now, and these people are picking them apart because they teach that gain is godliness. God loves you because you've got all this stuff, you know? But really, the Bible's already talked about that these people are corrupted in mind and they're destitute of truth. There's no truth in them because they're going after worldly things and they're promoting that as the gospel, and it's not. Look at what godliness is in verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Be happy with what God gives you and provides for you and live a godly life. That's the greatest gain. Why? Because it points you and I to eternity. Look at verse seven. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But let us be therewith content. So as long as you got food and clothing, be content, okay? But he says, we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Look at how you're born with nothing, but then you become attached to the things of this life that you can't even serve God. Those are the things that God wants us to avoid, to cut those weights and to focus on eternity so we don't get snared here. Because look at what he says in verse nine. But they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, into a trap, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, of which while some coveted, which some were greedy after, they have erred, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So you see, we add more hurt to our lives than we really need. We cause a lot of heartache and pain because we go after the things that don't profit us only to destroy us and take us away from our only true life source, which is Jesus Christ. But look at now, he's talking to the Christian in verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith lay hold on what? Eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So what are we supposed to do? Profess good professions before many witnesses. How do we profess? We profess the name of Jesus Christ that we need to forsake our sins, walk with Christ, do the things that Jesus calls us to, that we can be in good standing with him, and inherit eternal life. Okay, um, 1 Corinthians chapter six, look at verse nine. I wanna make a couple of key points here, guys, and then I will close. 
First Corinthians six and nine. Now look at what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Out of water. That's all right. All I need is the living water. First Corinthians six. Look at verse nine. He says, "Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind." So adulterers, you know who they are. They, you know, people that cheat on their wives and husbands. Fornicators, those are people that have sex outside of marriage. Idolaters, those who place things before God. And then you've got, uh, you know, uh, abusers of themselves with mankind. That's homosexuality. Why? Because sodomy itself is abuse. Okay, to stick your penis in someone's butt or their mouth is sodomy. I don't care how much you call it love, it's an inordinate affection. The effeminate, effeminate means a soft, sensitive man that acts like a woman that's not a man. God didn't make those either. He doesn't want those in the kingdom of God. You've got to be the creation that God made. You can't be a transvestite and make it into the kingdom because that is not what God made. Look at verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, those who are greedy, nor drunkards, those who were given over to wine, nor revilers, okay, those who party and live their lives. And then he says, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So, you know, we were all there at one point. I used to live in this kind of life, not the homosexuality, but I was an idolater. You know, I was a fornicator. You know, I did all sorts of, you know, filth in the world. And then he says, and such were some of you, but ye, you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Notice he says, you're not justified by the law. You're justified in Christ, in the name of Jesus and in the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul knows that he can do a lot of things. You can eat, you can do this, you can do that, but he's not gonna be brought under the power of any. He's gonna stay focused on the will of God. Look at verse 13, excuse me, verse 13. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Don't you know that your body belongs to the Lord? Shall I then take the members of the Lord Jesus Christ, I added that, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. So are you going to take the members of the Lord and give them over to the world, give them over to the flesh, give them over to the devil? God forbid. Now, why is he saying this? Look at verse 16. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. If you join yourself to a harlot, you join yourself to the world, 
you join yourself to the flesh or the devil, you will become one with them. A lot of people pick up immoral sexual appetites from joining themselves sexually to, you know, immoral people. Good, you know, evil communications corrupt good manners. You'll find those things will take place. That's why we have to, Jesus said, to guard your eyes, guard your heart, guard your mind so that you can focus on eternity. Look at what he says. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. That's why the Lord wants us to connect with him so that we may be like him and be one with him. Verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body. But he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. You wanna know why people get old and sick and diseased and my back hurts and this and that, and you know, the wages of sin is death. So when you fornicate, you sin against your own body because you destroy the temple of God. You can, when you have illicit sex and do things like that, the spirit of that person can go into you and you become worse than you were before. Look at verse 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, but ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So if your body belongs to the Lord, you've got no business giving your body over to something else. You wanna, you wanna have sex, get married, okay? You wanna enjoy some of the things in this life, let God give them to you. Let him direct your path and he will meet every need that you have. Why? So you can stay connected and in good standing with the Lord and you won't become an idolater to the things of this life. Last scripture of the night I'm gonna go to in your spare time, read John 49 through 62 about the Lord making clear that he that has his hand to the plow, okay, will, um, and looking back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. There was a man even in that chapter that said, um, Lord, let me go and bury my father and then I'll join you. And the Lord said, let the dead bury their dead and come and follow me. What was Jesus trying to get their eyes on? Focused on eternity. You know, so that's that's the important thing. And then um, another guy asked, Lord, let me just bid my family farewell and come and follow you. And the Lord said, man, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. So the Lord was trying to stamp their eyes on eternity. That was God's purpose. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to let them know that eternal life is so much more important than this physical carnal life. And that's what we must get down and understand. Brother Tony says, good teaching. Thank you. Glory to the eternal God. Thank you, Brother Tony. The glory is all the Lord's. I'm just a clay jar, okay, that has no power over anything but Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for your comments. If you need prayer for anything, you can put it in the message box, brother. You know, thank you for tuning in. So let's look at Revelation 21, last scripture of the night. And let's look at verse one. If you like this teaching, subscribe to the channel. We have, you know, several good ministers and teachers that teach the word, that believe in the word of God, that love Jesus Christ. And, you know, we can 
You know, that's how you build brethren in fellowship with brothers. All right, look at Revelation 21. This is the last scripture of the night. Look at verse one. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So notice the Lord is gonna burn everything up and then he's gonna bring forward a new heaven and a new earth, okay? And there will be no sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepare, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So notice this, he's talking about a new city that's coming down that looks like a bride adorned for her husband. You got the World Mission Society Church of God trying to tell people that this mother Jerusalem is the mother, um, the, the mother God that they're trying to promote to people and believes that it's a little Korean woman named, I think Sun Ming or Sun Young Moon or something like that. And her husband was supposed to be Jesus Christ. You see, when you're not focused on eternity and God, you fall victim to false prophets. This is about a heavenly city that God has built that he's bringing down. And look how beautiful this thing is. Look at verse uh, three. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And this is beautiful. This is what I'm waiting for. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. I mean, you know, what are we trying to hang on to here? Look at verse five. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that are that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So we will stay full of God. He would be our life source. We will bear fruit forever and ever and be like him. God is the source of everything that lives. Okay. And we must understand that if we're going to walk with him in this life, we've got to know that. So we don't seek other sources ourselves outside of the will of God. Look at verse seven. He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Notice, he that overcometh, what are we overcoming? The world, the flesh and the devil. It says shall inherit all things. So the promises are to those who have overcome. You can't overcome unless you've got eternity stamped on your eyeballs. He says, I will be his God. He will be my son. Look at verse eight. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we better figure something out and we better figure it out fast. If we've got any of these things in us, 
We need to let the Lord take them away. Because as you can see, the first two in the lake of fire are the fearful and the unbelieving. God's not going to want to hear you talk about, I love God, but I was afraid to tell people, you saw what happened to that wicked servant with the one talent. You know, if you love the Lord, open your mouth and let people know. If you love your neighbor, open your mouth and let people know about Jesus. Not just wear a Christian t-shirt. Anybody can carry, a, I mean, can wear a cross around his neck, but how many can carry one? How many can bear one? That's what this is about. These rewards are to overcomers and you're never gonna overcome until you have eternity stamped on your eyeballs. So hopefully we've got some understanding tonight. You know, that's tonight's lesson. Uh, what did Brother Tony say? He says, you're welcome, brother. I found by um, looking at your teaching on uh, ascension gifts of fivefold ministry. Praise the Lord, brother. You know, we've come a long way since then. We've done um, three years worth of, three or four years worth of teaching. So yeah, subscribe to the channel, man. And you know, we like brothers and sisters of a like precious faith. If you need prayer for anything, we provide prayer partners, you know. Um, we, we're just there for brothers and sisters, man. So, you know, if you need anything from us, don't be afraid to reach out. If we can do it, then we will. If we can't, then we won't, <laughs> you know, then we can't do it. But we put our trust in the Lord for all things. So I just want to say to people out there, I love you. If you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, then you can give your life to Jesus Christ today and begin a new life in his new and living way. You have to repent of your sins. You cannot stay in them. You've got to repent and then you've got to throw these things away, turn aside from them so that you can follow the Lord as righteous men and women, okay? You've got to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, that he died for your sins and all sins can be cleaned up in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, you've got to believe that he is coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, and know that he is an ever-present help in our time of need. Get baptized, get into God's word, pray to the Lord for the Holy Spirit, and ask him for forgiveness of all your sins, and you can have a life with Jesus Christ just as if you had never sinned, because what our Lord does best is he makes old things new. He could have gone out and gotten another creation, but what he did was he took a beat up harlot and, and took her out of the whorehouse to make her a faithful bride that he will marry and be with for all of eternity. So praise be to Jesus Christ for his goodness. You know, we've got to focus on that treasure. God's word reveals who that treasure is and the spirit of God gives us those secret hidden treasures that allows you and I to behold Jesus Christ as the true treasure. And it empowers us to live the Christian life. So you know what? If no one has anything else to add, God is good, Brother Jake. Absolutely. We can pray out from here. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for new listeners. We thank you for the brothers and sisters that have remained faithful, Lord. That, that check-in, that fellowship, that love to hear of your word. And I pray in Jesus' name that you add an anointing unto them, that you strengthen them, that you raise them up for such a time as this, because those who come after you will be called, chosen, and faithful.
And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you direct their minds, that they may follow you, that you may protect them and their families and cover them in your armor. Because right now, Lord, we need warlords for Jesus. We need those who have laid aside the world, those who have forsaken all to follow you, because those are the only people, Lord, that will bear your fruit and know what the goodness of God truly is. So we just pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor, Lord. If we've said anything that is against you, I pray in Jesus' name that you forgive us. But Lord, as far as we know that we have preached your word, that people may have understanding that to serve you, there is no greater glory, but we first have to get rid of one treasure to be able to have another. So we just pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so, you know, that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. Uh, the next teaching we're gonna do is Sunday at 3 p.m. And I believe it's called The Road to Damascus, okay? The Road to Damascus. And we're gonna learn a lot about that road. We're gonna learn a lot of what it stands for and how it relates to you and I. So I just wanna say again, I'm Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. I love you all. Till next time, have a good night.